Holy, uh, welcome to another episode of Off The Record Podcast. Today is Friday. It's New Music Fridays, if you don't know. And I know we haven't focused that much on music, but I definitely got some music to talk about. One of my favorite artists dropped a project, and I know y'all probably expect for me to give y'all a whole long review. I ain't gonna do that. I gotta touch on a couple songs. However, if you guys haven't checked out the last and couple of recent episodes of Off The Record, please make sure you do. We dropped an episode on Wednesday, Thursday, which was pretty much a conversation with Hitboy that we had on Spotify Green Room. Great conversation. Okay, if you don't know, Spotify Green Room is basically like Clubhouse. I'm gonna keep it on it. Okay, it's basically like Clubhouse. But it's going to be the place where we record our live episodes, at least virtually, off off the record. So somebody could be in San Diego, I could be in Milwaukee, and we could still do an episode of off the record with you guys participating because now you guys are able to join the conversation. You guys could be brought up on stage, you could ask questions, you could give instant feedback to the episode. You could actually shape and share and be able to participate in the conversation happening now. I th- we had a great conversation with Hit Boy, which, you know, he detailed, you know, his come up, his, you know, um, interesting relationship with people like Jay-Z, people like Kanye West, and also just kind of mapped out his plan of where he planned to go. You know, he worked extensively with Nas. He's nominated for another Grammy with, with Nas again for King's Disease 2, which is a sequel to King's Disease 1, which he got nominated for before. However, okay, um, today's Friday. And if you're listening to this on, what day is today? The, the Friday the 17th, you would have probably heard, I hope, that Roddy Rich has finally dropped his new album. Okay, I think it's called like Live Long Something. I, I can't remember the exact name of it, but his next LP is out. It's out, okay? And, um, yo, I have like such a pet peeve about just listening to new music. So if you wonder like, yo, why don't you ever cover new music? And you always come like later on with your thoughts. Or maybe sometimes I give instant thoughts and it changes over time. Because I'm really horrible at listening to new music. I don't know who really is like really good at listening to a song or an album and after one spin, right? Or after like a few hours, they have like their true feelings on the project or the songs that they could stand behind months after. So really, like, you know, first listens, I think it's just reactions, but I never get married to first listens. Now, Roddy Rich dropped this project, and I'm going to actually introduce a segment that I'm going to really blow out coming in 2022. Okay, we're wrapping this year up. But, you know, on Fridays, what I want to do is kind of pick or emphasize a record that I've heard that happens to be new that I just think it's a bop, that I think it's a joint, that I, I think, you know, is going to be played repetitively and talked about by the masses, okay? This week, I'm going to pick the Academics Record of the Week, okay? The off-the-record pick for Record of the Week, actually, as Roddy Rich, Kodak Black, 21 Savage, Hibachi. You guys got to go check that out, okay? You know, I listened to his project. I don't want to give any type of, you know, how I feel about the project so far because I see people on social media, and this is why I hate, like, first response or, or first, like, you know, listen reviews from people on social media. People never really think for themselves. Number two, like, you know, it depends on what setting you're listening to the music in. Number three, sometimes, yo, if somebody tells you something is hot, you just assume it's hot because you see other people talking about it. Groupthink usually ruins the listening experience for other people. Now, the song, as I said, is Hibachi. 
21 Savage, Kodak Black, and Roddy Rich. I got to give, you know, a lot of credit to my man, Kodak Black. I brought his name up for Grammy consideration this year, uh, or actually the, the Grammy nomination or the Grammy award show is happening in 2022. A lot of people didn't even like it. People like, yo, Ak, what the hell are you doing? Kodak got out of jail and he's dropping this, he's dropping that. I personally think Kodak's been averaging or batting at a very high batting average since he got pardoned from prison. Okay, now he got pardoned by, uh, from federal prison by um, Donald Trump. He's since dropped Haitian boy Kodak and a bunch of Lucy singles. And, you know, having a conversation with him, not only on the podcast, you guys got to go check out that episode. You know, he pretty much said, yo, listen, man, this is not his album yet. He's dropping songs and, you know, vibes that he feels and that helps tells his story and gets stuff off his chest. But that's no way, no shape, no form, his album. I enjoyed the EP, Haitian Boy Kodak. I enjoyed the Lucy's. I remember he sent me, right after we did the interview, you know what song he sent me? He said, Ack, what you feel about this? He sent me the song, um, Super Gremlin. And I remember listening to him, I'm like, damn. I even hit him, and I say, yo, bro, why didn't you put this on an album? Because if you really listen to a lot of Kodak's music, you know, sometimes he'll throw out the Lucy, which is hotter than sometimes the album cuts. And I've always wondered that about artists, like, yo, why throw out your hottest song as a Lucy instead of an album cut? And why keep something that I'm not going to call it mid, but something that, you know, people will, won't really talk about too much as an album cut. But this goes and shows the difference between artists who, you know, um, actually, I'll take it back. This is why the business of music actually matters. And we're going to talk about a bunch of artists who, as consumers that lack context, we are so quick to criticize, but with context, you understand what they're going through. I'll give you Kodak. Kodak Black got out of jail. He's been looking around at the landscape. Everybody's these days is saying, why be better? Everybody's, you know what I mean, acting like Kodak isn't Kodak. Ain't Project Baby, ain't Yak, ain't a guy who gave us multiple, numerous classics. The guy who has been copied and imitated by so many in the industry. We're just acting like he's just some guy who just, whatever. His label is on a wait and see formula. And by the way, I, you know, for the people who do watch off the record, I hope you watch to gain some musical knowledge and also teachings about what happens behind the scenes because Kodak Black, his EP wasn't supported by his label. These Lucy songs weren't supported by his label. Super Gremlin, which, by the way, now is doing really good. Everybody's calling it a hit. They just got on to supporting that um, um, as a label. You know why? Because labels don't want to put your album out thinking your album's going to get you hot. Atlantic pretty much looked at Kodak when he got out and said, yo, we're down to drop your album, but, bro, you got to kind of get hot. And that's usually a keyword and a code word for Dog, we're not about to put out and put money behind your music and pitch it to all these DSPs or whatever the case is that needs to be done to get an artist in the system and working until you show us the fans still got your back. So Kodak dropped the EP without his label support. Minimal support, okay? They see Dirty K popping off. They're going to fucking jump on it and be like, oh, okay, we like the song. Are they supporting the whole tape? No. Okay, they're only supporting what they see already has some type of buzz. This is the shittiest place for any artist to be in. 
it's the shittiest place because the label is looking at the artist and they're saying, you give us a reason to spend the money we're going to charge you on you. Think about that. The money that we're going to eventually recoup because if we spend it, you owe us. But before we decide to spend it, you got to give us a reason that if we spend it, we know we're going to recoup. So they're not trying to work Kodak's projects, at least right now. They want a complete album like turned into them and then they're going to do the label stuff. These days, the label, you know, I mean, it's nothing but a bank and someone with like pretty much a Rolodex of like quote unquote contacts that they have leveraged through the, the business of music. How do they got contacts and leverage with Spotify? Well, hey, part of it is that most of the music on Spotify is owned by the major labels. So they leverage that into positions of saying, hey, our future music, we want influence. And even if you look at it, whether it's SoundCloud or other places, they usually negotiate sometimes ownership of these DSP platforms. When you control the content, you control the, the IP of whatever you're putting out, the platforms that are putting out what you own, they're dependent on you. And despite what you hear people talking about independence, 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 trust and believe that 90% of the music business, at least by revenue, is still in the major label hands. Okay? Which means 90% of the money that comes in for music has to filter through one of the three major labels, Universal, Sony, or Warner. By the way, salute to Warner. They own Atlantic. They just bought 300 Entertainment, which was an independent record label founded by Lear Cohen, Kevin Lawson, I believe Todd Moskowitz, who later left to create um, Alamo, which now, you know what I mean, like pretty much, it's a big lick. You know what I mean? I could really get more in depth into it. And, you know, hopefully I'm not boring you guys to death. If I am, please let me know. But I would assume if you're tuning into Off the Record, you want to hear this intimate music behind the scenes behind the veil of this industry information. So 300 Entertainment was bought for about $400 million by Warner Music Group. Warner Music Group owns Atlantic Records, owns Asylum Records, okay? You get my drift. Basically, they took a company, and by the way, it was all, it was all like, you know, it, it was kind of written in stone already because... Kevin Lyles, or actually um, um, Lear Cohen, who now runs YouTube, right? He runs YouTube Music. He used to be a bigwig at Def Jam, right? He used to be a bigwig at Def Jam. Then he leaves the major label conglomerate to claim that he's going to make and start up and invest in independent labels. Remember, like there was a time everybody was trying to go independent. You know why? Because every rapper was trying to lie to you and tell you they were independent. So you got the birth of like labels like um, 300, Alamo. Um, what else? What else? What else? Uh, well, Asylum kind of been around. There's another one that I'm actually kind of forgetting. There's a bunch of them. You know, you know uh, Empire's been around. Um, CMG, Cinematic Music Group, kind of been around. And they were kind of like independent because it was attractive to get artists to sign to them because they're claiming independent. But in reality, they had mainstream major label relationships. They just allowed the artists to keep more, but they would do less. And essentially, that was the popular thing like a couple of years ago. These days, like 
Nobody even really cares anymore about that because what independent has become is so confusing. You can't tell who's independent from not being independent. Not to bring up some something that um recently just happened, but and, and God rest the dead when it comes to Young Dolph. It goes back to even what Soulja Boy was saying. There's levels of independency now, right? So Young Dolph was saying PRE Paper Route uh, Empire was independent, yet Paper Route. Was a it wasn't a subsidiary, but it had a joint venture with Empire, which Empire has a lot of reach in the industry, major label reach, not really, but it's not the same as in the same independence level as someone who's just putting out music via TuneCore or I don't know what Soldier Boy's situation is, but it's nothing as major as that. Actually, I think Soldier Boy do one offs. He does like these. He he works for Empire too at times, but it'll be these one off single deals. Do you get, you get what I mean? And I hope you guys are understanding this to some degree. So, independence became the new wave. These labels popped up. They started signing up everybody. So if you're wondering who signed to 300 Entertainment, Young Thug, Meg The Stallion. Well, Meg The Stallion's uh, um, deal is through in, uh, 300, but it's also with um, 1501. Meg The Stallion, Young Thug, um, the Migos used to be over there. Fetty Wap used to be over there. Shy Glizzy used to be over there. There used to be a bunch of acts that was popping off on this new indie record label, which if you want to put an argument forward, I could say they weren't indie at all. How could you be indie when the people who own you ran the biggest major labels possible? So the dudes who ran the major labels quit their job at the major labels and made an indie company. But they got all the same connects. They're still super funded. They're basically just making, and that's where you hear this term, a mid-major. Because they could do everything as a major could do, but they're not really independent. When I think about independent, I think about how I came up on YouTube. You don't got no connects like that. If you're going to get any type of promotion this time, you got to spend your money, not somebody else's money. And what independent is that like you can't leverage anything because you don't have any market share. A lot of these companies that's got into the independent game, they were able to leverage all type of shit. And the reason why they were able to leverage it is because they had these side deals. So they'd be like, hey, we're an independent record label. However, we're distributed by Sony Red. What? Well, Sony Red is Sony, which with Sony Red is, is a distribution um, component of Sony. Sony is a major record label. Label is it's a major record label company. It's one of the big three. How could you be independent if you have a side deal with them? So anyway, I say all that to say, people are confused about what independence is now, right? Obviously, and I use the Young Doll versus Soldier Boy thing. Like they seem both independent, but one might be more independent than the other. It's basically levels to it. What ends up happening is that everybody who owned a independent record label basically just sold it. You know what I mean? They either sold it or super partnered with like a big major label. And it's the same old system because in reality, if you ever think about a music, like the music industry, like the Illuminati, you can't beat the fucking system. Okay. They're not, like the, the music industry ain't going to let a bunch of independent motherfuckers come and overthrow them. They have catalog. They have history. They have connections. They have a lot of things they can leverage that if people were banding together to try to make some independent wave, they would force them out of the fucking game. So what ends up happening is that the major label people 
who, by the way, they already have a relationship with the people who are owning all these new indie companies, right? Remember the niggas who own the indie companies used to run the majors anyway. They basically kind of got like a little handshake, wink, wink type of formula to say, yo, do your thing independently, wink, wink, and later, we're just going to buy you. So the guys who used to run the major create an indie company called 300. Then they leave the company. Lear is over at YouTube. The company's there. It's not, it's not really popping anymore. And then it gets bought up by a major, and it's not, it's not independent anymore. Same shit, man. Listen, that might have been confusing to y'all, but for the people who kind of wonder about what music news and what, whatever is going on makes complete sense. Okay, so that's one of the things that's happening. Anyway, um, I don't even know how I got on this fucking tangent, right? So, oh, no, I think I was thinking about uh, Kodak Black, right? Because my song of the week is Roddy Rich, Kodak, 21 Savage, Hibachi. It's all for Roddy Rich Project. The labels, they play dirty game. Okay, you get out of jail. Uh, we don't want to put out your album right now. How about you heat yourself up? Because if you put out your album right now, you're going to use it to get out of your contract, and we want to sell the most amount of records. So Kodak got to put out these Lucy's. You got to put out these, you know, like EPs or mixtapes, whatever the fuck it's called, but none of it gets counted. And the label gets to be like a, a fucking like piranha, and anytime they see a song moving, they act like they were supporting from the get-go. So they're supporting Super Gremlin now when they didn't want him to drop it in the first place. How do I know this? Trust me, I know, okay? <laughs> I feel like that's one of those uh, uh, trust me, bro, uh, uh, memes as a source. But anyway, this happens quite frequently, and I'm going to bring you through some label situations from other artists today because, again, it's New Music Fridays, and we're going to do Off the Record, or somebody give me a catchy name. Record of the, Off the Record of the Week? Hmm. The top record of the week. Somebody give me a catchy name for it. Anyway, um, I have no I, I have no opinion yet about this particular project with Roddy Rich. We waited for two and a half, maybe three years for him to give a, 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 a follow-up to his first project, which a lot of people liked, did crazy numbers. I believe he has a diamond record. I think the box is around diamond. People had so many great moments from it that they liked. <clears throat> now, Here's the thing, and I could say these things without giving, you know, whether leaning or left or right or I like it or I don't like it. I can say this about Roddy Rich. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a young artist, I believe he's like 23, okay? Um, I believe he's mastered sonically how to create an album. Production-wise, if you, if you compare even his mixtape to his first album, to this album, sonically... Production-wise, top tier. Okay? Second of all, sequencing. And if you don't know what sequencing, it's not just as easy as, oh, what song comes after, whatever. It's actually putting together a body of work that if someone was listening from track one to track 20, let's say it's 20 tracks, 
it would actually make sense. Like they would actually be like, oh, okay, this is an experience. This, you know, actually is meaning something. It, there's a theme. There is a story, you know? And as much as you want to think that, you know, albums are just loose tracks just thrown together in a random playlist, if you're trying to create an LP and be an album artist, you want to have your album sequencing tell a story. I think Roddy is really good at that. And by the way, I listened to this project. He looked like he accomplished that too. Now, the third thing is the transitions, man. I remember, I, I don't know if he, he did the same with this particular project, but 1500 and nothing, I believe, 1500 or nothing, they, they sequenced his last album and a lot of people gave him credit for it. I saw a lot of people trying to also emulate it because, you know, if you don't know what that means, transitions. So if you're listening to track one, by the time it ends, it doesn't end abruptly and it feels like you're just starting a new song. It kind of like blends into each other. You get additional instrumentations that kind of like flow into each other and it kind of makes it a really great listening experience where you will start, say, on track three and you don't know that you went past six tracks when you're on track nine. It just kind of flows together. So I think Roddy is amazing at doing that. Now, there are people criticizing like you expect because, you know, people... You can't please everybody. And also, everybody wants to be like, everybody wants to be shocking. Everybody wants to like give an opinion about what they believe the album is or what it's going to end up being really quickly because it's the nature of social media. I've seen a tweet. I'm going to read the tweet out. The tweet actually said, uh, Roddy Rich says he goes a while without dropping music so he could grow as a person and experience new things in between projects. These songs is about getting money and fucking bitches I thought this nigga was going to be town about some hermetic philosophy or something. Okay. Now this is a very interesting tweet and not that the person who tweeted it out was like saying something that was revolutionary because I do believe this is a shared expectation when people listen to a project from an artist who has taken more than the normal allotted time to create a project. Roddy Rich waited about two to three years before dropping something. He was riding the hype of Die Young. He was riding the hype of The Box. He was riding the hype of some of the some of the other features. Racks in the Middle won a Grammy. Of course, he was on Rockstar. Like, yo, he was riding a hype. When other people would have normally dropped, he did not. So people looked at what he got going on and said, mm, whenever he drops, he's going to deliver something that's groundbreaking. And I always say to artists like this, there's two type of artists who could like take a lot of time. Number one, you have the artists like Kendrick Lamar. Whenever Kendrick drops, he hasn't dropped like in, what was it four years? Five? I think four. We think he's going to deliver something so declarative, so different, so advanced, so much deep-seated with a message that people have gotten these expectations before he got it. Now, if he dropped a, a, an album and he's just talking about turning up in the club and fucking, you know what I mean, chilling on a yacht, people are going to be like, what the fuck is this bullshit? The time that he's taken to make the album is excused by the level and depth of concepts we think he's going to tackle, the message he's going to deliver, 
and overall ambiance of the album that's going to be so complex in nature. It's not just music. It's going to be intertwined with reality and social circumstances. So we'll give him four or five years, and he's still getting heralded. You don't hear people say, oh, no, nah, fuck this, he's taking too long. The second type. It's like from artists like Uzi. Okay, I know. I know, I know what you're saying. It's from an artist like Lil Uzi Vert, who has a dedicated stand base. And they are just like, you know, clamoring for any type of music. And they're still hung up on the last album they gave because usually that album is either critically acclaimed, it either ran the summer, it either had some of the biggest hits. They're not expecting too much substance, but they kind of are because they're expecting that the next album is going to make them feel the same way the last album did. So they're excusing the time because in, in reality, you know, and you know who doesn't do this, like take mad time. And some people say they used to hurt him, but I think these days people kind of look down on people who take too long. I think Future. You know, I remember when Future was dropping like four projects a year. He would do like collab album. We would drop another project, another project. And um, there was a time he kind of chilled out a bit. And, you know, he tried to do like the little concept album thing. These days, I think people just understand his cadence and his pace. And it just doesn't make sense because there's there's a there's a depth level that future won't go beyond, right? Yeah, he's gonna tell you he's an addict. Yeah, he's gonna tell you he's off in perks. Yeah, he's gonna tell you, you know what I mean, he can't stop sipping the lane. He's gonna tell you that like he don't want a wife, no chick. He's gonna tell you that, listen, man, yo, he don't give a fuck about having a baby with a kid with a chick. You don't care, right? But he's not gonna go deeper than that. So if, if, he, if he was taking four or five years to make it, you'd be like, nigga, what the fuck are you talking about? And this is where we get the Roddy Riches of the world. Because I believe that Roddy Rich, who came into the game by telling his story, and his story was so profound, think about the songs he broke into the scene with. I ain't trying to die young. Not saying he was as lyrical as Kendrick, but a lot of his story kind of like mirrored what Kendrick was, was putting out in terms of Yo, I'm not no gangbanger, and I'm trying to elevate beyond it. Listen, there's so much of a wider audience for the people who ain't the killers, who ain't the gangbangers, and not saying that, I don't know his gang affiliation if he has any, but there's so much more of an audience for the people who, like, their whole, their whole like, thing is, yo, I want to do better, despite where I came from. When you hear songs like Die Young, when you hear songs like I've been balling every season, like the every season song, Out the Mud, everybody could relate to the story, whether you grew up in California, whether you were in a gang, whether you shot at somebody, whether you killed somebody, whether you dealt drugs, you could relate to a, hey, I'm trying to uplift my, myself and not end up like the normal person who is in my circumstance. I'm trying to do better. And I'm going to be honest with you, Roddy Rich's music made us buy into the story and made us feel like, yo, he's trying to do better. So a lot of people wanted the continuation of that. So what this person's tweet kind of epitomized to me is why people don't like waiting. Because people want to hear the story. People want to hear, even though, keep it, let's be honest, in the three years since Roddy Rich dropped the boxing in his album, like, his life ain't been the same. You know what I mean? Like, he, he, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think he's 
rolling around thinking, yo, I just don't want to become a statistic. Like, he's a, he's a superstar. So, of course, if we think about the music that he's going to make, it's probably going to match towards his current mindset. And this is why, you know what I mean, it's like the, ine- the inevitable... Um, the inevitable fall, the inevitable fall off of most rappers, because people get married to the story of when they were struggling, and we then praise them and let them get all the riches and all the success, and then we get surprised that the struggle is no longer in their music. They're not rapping about surviving shootouts and how scary it is walking home. They ain't rapping about, hey, yo, listen. I'm I'm watching everybody die around me. Now they're wa- they're rapping about their time their time in New York or motherfucking LA when 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 they're down Rodeo Drive blowing fifty thousand, them on the yacht, them on a private jet, them copping the new whip, the Lambo truck, the Cullinan, and people usually say, "Damn, this ain't the guy who I wanted." You know, again, most of the times, you know, fans put the story of what the rapper is onto the rapper rather than saying that the rapper is an artist and whatever the rapper gives us at that time is a true reflection of their emotions, feelings, and thoughts. You know what I mean? Like, if you see somebody as a gangster, you don't want them to rap about the time when they're emotional. I mean, some rappers have mixed it up pretty good. I think, I think you know, like, Youngboy's done a great job of that. But, like, if you think a rapper is A, you don't want to hear about B, C, and D. <clears throat> what happens when... Their lifestyle just doesn't match that anymore, okay? So as I'm reading that, I'm like, damn, you just want to hear about him rapping about him beating the hood when that probably isn't the case in the last couple of years. You know what I mean? It's the reason why people like Jay-Z get to a cross, you know, a fork in the road where he's like, yo, if you want the old Jay, you got to, you know, you got to buy my old albums. You know what I mean? He wanted to rap about art and like, you know what I mean? Wearing chancletas and shit like that. And people want him to rap about, like, you know, the hard knock life. And him, like, you know what I mean, trying to push 92 bricks. Shit didn't make sense. He wanted to rap what was congruent with his life. So, anyway, I'm going to save my opinion on the album. I want to hear what you guys have to say. Please hit up um, Off The Record Clips on Instagram or Off The Record HD on Twitter. Y'all got to let me know what y'all think about the project. I've realized, and tell me if this is fake, it takes me about two to three weeks to really know if I'm a fuck with like a song. And sometimes it's even take me like four to five weeks where initially I didn't like a song and later on I did. I'll give an example. Yes, I'm gonna use Drake. Don't get mad. Drake CLB in the Bible. Fucking hated it. Actually, I even despise the fact that Dirk was on there talking about, yo, India Royal Cosmetics. I'm like, what the fuck? What type of waste, man? Verse did this nigga Dirk just get my nigga Drake? I kid you not, like two to three months later, man, that's just fire. <laughs> that's just fucking fire. You know what I mean? So again, like, again, call it whatever you want, hypocritical, I'm just in the moment, whatever it is. I do reserve the right to be like, yo, hey, listen, when I listen to a, an album on first listen, it's what I expected to hear I'm judging. So I'm not really judging what's actually there. I'm, I'm, I'm just like CLB, I'm thinking it's going to be a love album. When it ain't a love album, I'm judging it based on it not being a love album. Later on, when I accept it for what it is, because that's what the artist gave me, I now have a slightly different opinion about certain songs, okay? Um, yeah, you know, um, there's a few albums that kind of fit the criteria in terms of, you know, waiting a long time. Whole lot of red. I feel like Cardi waited so long 
that it's impossible to please people. It's impossible. I feel like if Cardi had dropped a whole lot of red maybe a year sooner, two years sooner, and maybe if it, it was kind of a little punk rocker, so I get it. People would have different perception and reaction to it. But he took too long. People thought it was going to be like some Picasso painting. While he was going to really just like, yo, he's been getting by by drawing stick figures. No disrespect. What did people think he was going to do? You get know what I mean? It's like, I mean, and it's not only Cardi. They did it to Uzi. Uzi just finessed it. They did it to Uzi with eternal take. Man, people are tired of fucking waiting. There was no way to please them. People already heard the snippets that they wanted that to be the album, but they were old already. Uzi felt that he was on a new creative wave, and he put some new songs on it. People fucking hated it. What did Uzi do? He ain't take the L. The next week, he dropped every song people wanted. So he actually got the W by default. It's one of those things where, like, you have to be a rarefied type artist to be able to take the amount of time, two to three years. I say three years. To say three years and drop, and people say you delivered. Think about CLB. Even though I'm here to tell y'all Scorpion was a classic. But Drake took so long. You know, you know the knock for many people on CLB is? Sounds like a bunch of album cuts. Yo, it's just all album cuts. Why is that like that? Why the fuck you sound like that? You know why? Last thing we heard, the last offering, let's forget the mixtape Dark Lane demos. Man, we heard Scorpion, man. Mob ties. Nonstop. God's plan. Peak. Jeez. Come on. We were expecting an album to meet that album with the amount of hits, the same nostalgic feeling. Oftentimes, it's hard to replicate. All right. Um, oh, there's another one that did it. Oh, well, well actually, Roddy Rich's project now. This is why, I like, people like, you know, Future and Young Thug win. They never starve their audience that their audience thinks they're going to give something fucking special. And I mean, you know what you're going to get from motherfucking Future? Toxic masculinity. Like, that's it. You're not going to get him, like, explaining what the, like, his, you're not going to, yo, if Future didn't drop for, like, four years, you would imagine that if he finally was going to drop after four years, he wouldn't still be rapping about, like, yo, fucking Instagram models and never calling them back. Or, or telling Instagram models to fly themselves out and not paying them back. Like, 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 that's some basic shit, right? You would expect him to be talking about why the fuck he's so toxic. You want him to talk about his father who left him, who walked out of his life when he was 14 and made him feel this resentment towards, you know, like, you know, his sink. Like, whatever the case is, you expect some deep shit because at the time, that's really just what it is. But Future and niggas like uh, um, Young Thug, not saying they can't be, like, deep with the music they make, but they realize this ain't that. Just keep dropping it. Fuck it. We turned up. And now, now and then you might get a song that has semblances of some deep shit. I think that was, you know, um, coding crazy. You know, I think I think that was him kind of bearing his soul a little bit, but it's still not giving. It's not too deep. Same with same same with uh, Young Thug. No, my name is Jeffrey. Had a couple of those songs as well. But you can't expect too much from these motherfuckers, man. That's why those artists win. They're not starving their fan base. And I keep telling everybody, if you starve your fan base, you better come with a conceptual album. If it takes Tory Lanez motherfucking like 
three months to cook up an 80s album. You want me to believe that it took you four years to motherfucking come up with some shit where you rapping about Off-White, and by the way, rest in peace to Virgil Abloh, you're rapping about Off-White, Fendi, and Dior? Like, come the fuck on. At least come with a themed album. Come with something with a message, please. Now, um, as we wind this year down, you know, um, we're going to have, and I'm playing this out now. I'm trying to do an award show. Y'all let me know if y'all feeling that. Academics award show? Off the record award show? Tell me if y'all feeling that. But also I want to do kind of like a yearly wrap up a bit. Like, you know, this year has been kind of wild. This year was supposed to be the year we're getting out of the pandemic. But I ain't going to lie, in the last couple of weeks, look like we finna go back up in that bitch. They're saying the numbers are back up. This Omicron or Omarion album strain, or not album strain, <laughs> COVID variant is ridiculous. But there's been so much that happened, whether, you know, it's lockups. Unfortunately, some people died. Mashups, run-ins, wild stories after wild stories. Stuff going on with the government, stuff that's just outside the scope of hip-hop. It's been a year to remember. Um, if, if we really had to say it coming into this year, like I would say the hottest song was like um, Back in Blood. I think that Pooh Shicey was kind of looking like he was going to go on his major run. He got locked up this year by the feds. So did Casanova. So did Hot Boy. Hot Boy just got seven years. Jeez. A lot of artists got locked up. Fetty Wap, he just got locked up recently at, at, um, at Newark Airport. But all in all, when you look at it, you see everybody who got locked up, you see how quickly things change. And, and the only thing that's guaranteed in life seems to be change. Pusha Isti, who a lot of people, if you, don't, if you didn't watch the episode with a former uh, federal agent, his name is Myron Gaines, He's also a YouTuber. He has a podcast as well. He came on my podcast, came off the record, and we talked about, like, you know, all the ongoing and pending cases for all these entertainers we love. And when it came to Pushaisi, his prognosis wasn't that good. He basically said, man, this nigga might be screwed. He said five to ten minimum. Pushaisi's probably been locked up, I don't want to say around, like, seven, eight months. Seems forever right now. But I don't even think it's been a year yet. Maybe it's about, no, it hasn't been a year yet. Now, today he put out a message, and, and I wanted to read this message because, man, I felt saddened for Pusha T when I, when I read this on his social media. So he posted this, you know, uh, um, um, caption on his social media, on his Instagram, and I read it and I said, damn, I think Pusha T cares more about his gangster image more than getting out of jail. Let me just give you out the game. When anytime, and we've seen, I could name five rappers who did this. Rappers are all gangster on the record. When they're making the songs, they're killing everybody, they're spinning blocks on social media, they're probably threatening everybody in person, they're probably jumping, slapping, doing whatever because they're gangsters, they got a b- bunch of people with them, they're, they're tough guys. They get in that orange jumpsuit and they get in front of the judge and they become docile little animals. And what I mean by that, not calling them animals, what I mean by they're docile, like they're, they're harmless. They start telling the judge if they have ever get to speak for themselves, I'm not like that, I'm a good guy. They even denounce their gangsterism. Yo, I'm not gangster. 
I can name you a bunch of artists that, who, who said that. But you know what? You guys have amnesia, so I don't want to name them. And you're like, yo, Akis. No, no, no. I remember when everyone said it. They all said it. When it's time for a bail hearing or it's time for sentencing, you know the first thing they said? I've learned my lesson. I'm not going to do it again. I am not gangster. I am not that person. I'm a good boy. They all do it. I don't shame artists for doing that. You know, unfortunately, some people take the raps so literal that they think an artist got to be gangster through and through. What's one of the most celebrated things, at least when it comes to Gucci? Gucci was facing being sentenced for a gun charge or something like that and might have been, no, no, actually, it wasn't sentencing. It was was his arraignment. And they said, Gucci, what do you want to plea? Are you guilty or you're not? And I don't know if he said this in court, but this was shit that floated around social media. It was put out that Gucci said, bitch, I might be. God damn it. People love the gangster shit, man. We love it. Like, you never want to see your favorite gangster rapper be human. Like, they're superheroes to us, unfortunately. But in reality, everybody, when the judge, listen, it's never fun when the rabbit has a gun. And it's never fun when the judge has a gavel. And when it comes to your sentencing, when it comes to your bond or bail hearing, you need to be someone who doesn't pose a threat, who doesn't seem to be dedicated to prove to your rest of your street niggas that you, you're down to do violence or do whatever the fuck that you know in court just doesn't play well. Call it colorism, racism, whatever the fuck you want to call it, just doesn't play well. Just like, you know what I mean? You wouldn't go in the court with your pants sagging and like you have like whatever gang you're in, you got the flag on you and you're throwing up gang signs in front of the judge. Now you're going to show up in a suit with a belt. You're going to stand, you're not going to stand like, you know what I mean, like how you would stand in a rap video. You're going to stand straight. That's just what it is. This is why I was a little bit concerned, at least by Pooch Heisty. He put up his caption. Let me read it to you. He says, I'm going to be back in a minute. Won't be too long till I'm free. I love my fans and the ones who still support me. I still remain untouched and unfuckable with. Still talking my shit like I'm eight feet three. Still popping king shit. Still having my way like king, eating like a king, thinking like a winner. Ain't shit change, but how my clothes get washed and how the doors get locked. They think it's over with for me, and that's okay. That's cool, though. This is just a brief message after these few words. I'm back silent. I'm going ghost. You're going to feel me if you need to hear me. So keep that same energy. I still hear everything. My shit's public record. Look, look me up. No 5K1s. No Rule 35S. Rats don't run in my blood. We bullies. A lot of motherfuckers happy because I'm put up right now. But that's what you call pussies. I've been knew all that love was fake. That's why I won't let up at all. I still got one foot on you niggas neck. Y'all. Able to breathe a little bit now because I'm away right now. But it's going to take more than tomatoes to catch up with me. You hear me? I ran up 10 M's in two years off telling my life story. And I got more power than money. But that's something you can't buy. I'm the youngest in charge. I don't been through more shit than a 99-year-old. Just taking it one day at a time. I take over shit everywhere I go. Nigga, I'm locked up. But my mind's still free. 
Y'all can't lock that up. I've been through worse situations, but I'm at my best right now. It don't get no bigger than this. I'm the biggest. Wait, no, no, no. Blur, blur. Okay, yeah, I got it. Blur. Free shiesty. Posted by Ball. I guess that's one of his mans. Words from a giant. Now, Pushaisi lawyer got to be fired. I don't know how the fuck he, he typed this up. I don't know how the fuck his lawyer agreed for somebody to post it to social media. I don't know how the fuck a guy who has not resolved all of his charges, even though this reads and sounds like someone who's about to enter pleas or something to resolve these charges and probably have accepted the fact that he's going to have to sit down for a bit. This just sounds like, as sentencing, you don't seem contrite, remorseful, and the judge should have any type of remorse or leniency on sentencing you. Again, worst time ever to type a message and say, don't get it fucked up. We're the bullies. You're supposed to look like you're not the bully. The bullies are getting sentenced. This is the jail exists for the bullies. You're not supposed to say you're unfuckable with. It sounds like you're trying to beg to go in high security, maximum 23 lock, 23 hour a day lockdown. Also, this probably could even be misconstrued as a threat. Y'all keep the same energy. I'm gonna keep my foot on y'all neck. On who's next? Again, I don't know why the hell he wrote this message. But this just tells me his lawyer ain't doing his job. But pride and ego are a motherfucker. Because I've seen the biggest gangsters who, when they got in court with the criminal situation, they played the part to get out the situation. When Shadi went into court and Shadi said, I don't bend, I don't fold, it's fucking Treyway. He knew he was going to get an extra three. He knew it. He knew it. But for whatever reason, he wanted that to be a part of the story. He wanted that to be a part of the story. By the way, he said that when he already accepted the plea. He didn't take it to trial. He already accepted the plea. Prosecutor already told him, like, all right, yo, you're going to get this if you get the plea. So I'm going to take it. Then he played the, okay, this is the, 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 the facade here. Or I won't call it a facade because he believes it. But this is what I could say to still have people thinking whatever, whatever. Love shoddy. But if it was really we don't bend, we don't fold, you're not, you're not taking a plate. Again, it's court. I'm only saying this, and I know I'm a civilian. I know, I'm like, yo, act, yo, you don't. Listen, man. We see the biggest gangsters when they get in court. They fold and they take a plea. That's the only thing I'm saying with, with this. This just read as someone trying or a desperate attempt to seem like, yo, nigga, I'm still tough, but your fate is being determined by a bunch of magistrate judges who, who, when the prosecutor or, God forbid, one of these witnesses show up and say, look what he's saying. He's going to keep his foot on our necks. They're going to just use it against you in court. I can't understand why you would do something like this, but this is what the rap game is a little bit. And by the way, I do think, Pusheyes, he's one of them real niggas. But again, 
Even if you feel like this, why put it on social media? That's why. Pooh should be the last person who puts this type of stuff on social media. Pooh was caught because he had money spread out on his arm and they zoomed in and spotted a serial number that connected him to a robbery. Social media is not his friend. Social media is just not his friend. I just don't know why you put such a message on social media. Also, by the way, I seen a hint of him saying just what I've seen Casanova say. When you get locked up, all these rap dudes who was popping bottles with you in the club, making music with you all, 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 all day and night, fucking the hoes with you, they don't want to hit you up. Yo, setback is your setback. Nobody wants to be visiting you in jail or prison. And I think, you know, it looks like Chasey kind of understood that, but none of these dudes are your friend. I hope he doesn't get um, much time. And I really enjoy his music. I really want him to come back out. Like, when I listen to his music, his shit be sounding real. And, yes, call me a hypocrite all you want, but, man, it's something different when you hear somebody's music sound authentic. Not saying you got to be rapping about violence, but authenticity is something that's innately built in hip-hop that when you hear it, like, for example, if somebody if somebody's rapping about something you know they're actually doing, it just... Hits a little bit different. Pray for Shiesty, but fires lawyer. They got to delete this post, okay? Um. Lastly, before I even get out of here, I got, I got to touch on some more label shit. Roddy Rebel, who I want to get on this podcast. Roddy, you have an open invitation to come to Off the Record. Here on Spotify, we could chop it up. Uh, got some questions for you, man. We, we spoke one time when you were in jail, and I'm not going to lie to you, man. For a guy who was locked up for like six, seven years you're fucking hilarious, dude. Like, and what I mean by that is like you're in great spirits. You know, I, 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 I've commended people like you who could be in good spirits in the worst of situations. Now, Roddy posted this to social media recently. He said, yo, listen, man, I'm not dropping no more music or no more new music until Epic Records pay me. I haven't gotten a check from Epic Records for all the music I've put out to, since 2014. I've been patient, but enough is fucking enough. Let me break down the label game again, people. And I've said this with Bobby Schmurder, but I'll say it again. By the way, Bobby dropped a song today. I'm watching to see how his label supports it. Bobby Schmurder and Rowdy Rebel Let me use the term. Let me define it first. There's something called a lame duck president. A president who basically has the title of being a president, but essentially can't do anything with the title in terms of using, utilizing his power. Why? It might be opposition or his own party or whoever just don't believe in him. Basically has a title with pretty much none of the power. Bobby Schmurter and... Roddy Rebel, they're not presidents, but they're artists on a label without the pull and leverage that an artist that is remotely as hot as them would have. I'm going to tell you why. I'll also use another analogy. It's like baseball. If they just fired, or let's say football, if they just fired the coach of the Giants, right? Let's say that they fired the defensive coach. They hired me. 
I walk into the I walk into the defensive meeting. There's 23 people there. There's 23 people on defense already. They fired a dude midseason who brought all those players there, who drafted them, who vouched for them getting bigger contracts or long deals via the general manager and the owner. They fired the guy who did that. Now they bring me in, and I need to provide results instantly. Now here's the thing. I pull up. First thing I'm going to do is like, well, if these niggas who he brought here wasn't playing hard for him, why the fuck would they play hard for me? Secondly, if they didn't respect him, why the fuck would they respect me? That guy probably put his name on the line, vouched for them, was taking his time with them, trying to make sure that they were in this position on this team. What most people do, whether it's head coaches, defensive coaches, just anybody who's a leader, and I'm using coach as like a leadership um, role. You want people or you want soldiers that you pick. Let me bring it back to Bobby Schmerder. When Bobby Schmerder was at Epic Records, he got signed in 2014. The leadership was very different. There's a guy there named L.A. Reed, one of the only black executives. Remember, notoriously, uh, 21 Savages said he had signed to Epic Records because the first it was the only major label that he saw with a black face running the whole shit. Remember? Well, the Me Too movement happened, and they ran that nigga out of town. They ran L.A. Reid out of his position. He had to step down, and it's one of those things, you know, the, the music industry is a musical chair, so they don't really fire you. You just, you know, you, you got to step down and just move to the side, and you'll get something later on. You just got to wait your turn. Now, he stepped down, and actually, he never really got another major label job, but he didn't look for it. He did what people were doing at that time. Remember, I kept telling you all about these, you know, indie labels. He made an indie label. You probably don't even know that he runs this label because ever since the Me Too thing happened and people called him a creep, he didn't put his face and name in front of everything he owned. That's just a very detrimental thing. It works for Diddy. When you hear about Revolt, you hear about Bad Boy, you know that Diddy owns it. But if Diddy was ever so shamed, you don't want your name associated with what you own. Because it's, it's, when your name goes down, that goes down. I'll give you another example. Russell Simmons. Russell Simmons used to own a media company called um, All Death. When they meet to him, shit, he moved to like Bali and he was doing fucking like, you know, meditation over there. But of course, his company went down to dumps because people associate that company with him. Now, he later, I believe, either shuffled some management or, like, sold parts of it. And even to this day, that company hasn't really got back fully on its legs. Why am I saying this? The guy who was running Epic Records back then, who signed Bobby Schmurder back then, Rowdy Rebel back then, got me too he left the company, he got a new record label. The record label is called Hitco. Hitco, some of his artists currently, Yellow Beezy, Ruby Rose. I think there's someone else I'm missing who's a little bit bigger of a name too, but you've never heard that those two artists are signed to L.A. Reid. Such is the case though. So remember when Bobby and Rowdy got locked up, the whole thing was, is their label going to bail them out? Now, I talked to, I, I, I talk to Bobby, and Bobby said, I'm going to be honest with you, like, you know, 
the people at the time, L.A. Reid, I, I think Sylvia Rowan was there too, yeah, they rocked with them. So, like, you know, they wanted to help out. But, you know, to, to bail out somebody who pretty much got a RICO, uh, was a state RICO charge, that has to go all the way up the ranks, you know, and, and Epic Records is owned by Sony Music Entertainment, right? And that company was just like, fuck no, we're not bailing these guys out. It's not about the money. We're just not bailing these guys out. And they sat in jail until they got sentenced, and that was that for, for seven years. So they got back out. Now they got back out. The label never dropped them. That's very interesting for me to tell y'all. The label never dropped them. So the label never dropped them. And they get back out of jail and have to deal with the same label who kind of don't really fuck with them or don't know them, actually. Because the people who are running the label, L.A. Reid and his cohorts, not there no more. They're out. They're gone. You're dealing with a new coach. And the new coach, while you used to do things like A, in their mind, they want you to do things like B to fit in their roster. So that's what Bobby was trying to tell me. They want him to do certain things, act a certain way. Also, they're very weary that when these guys were allowed to their own devices, they got charged with a recall. So the label's now saying, hey, we'll keep you on and fund you a little bit, but you got to listen to everything we're saying. Remember Bobby said on, uh, on the show, he couldn't really use his social media? Yeah, well, of course, the label won't want you to use your social media after your social media was also used to help indict you. So you get now, now they're like, whoa, 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 we'll monitor what you post. But that's an organic. Roddy Rebel saying he ain't get paid. Well, I can't say if he did or not. But I can tell you, Roddy Rebel, who dropped, you know, it's really his only biggest song before he got locked up his computers, right? He came back out, and I'm pretty sure they either gave him money while he was locked up or when he just got out, you got to pay that money back four times before you're, you're back, you know, um, above water. You're in debt. And I think Bobby realizes that. I think that's where Bobby's at. I think Bobby signed another, because he was alluding to it on on, um, on on the show. He was alluding to it that he signed a bigger deal, got more money, but all you do is just you're committing to more and more. And if it doesn't start paying off immediately for them, you're not going to get paid. That advance is what it is. You get the advance, you're not getting paid no more money. I see Meek try to respond to Roddy, and he said, yo, just drop music. Unfortunately, and this is why being on a record label sucks so much, that's the only thing you could do. He needs to make himself hot enough that the label feel that they could make their money back. Otherwise, they kept him for seven years on the shelf. You think they won't keep him for another five? That's the point. Unfortunately, I believe that because the people at Epic don't believe in Bobby and Rowdy as the last bunch of people, their original coaches, they won't spend enough money on them. They won't. I think they missed the wave already. Bobby should have been dropping music. They missed the wave. They're not going to spend the money. And now Bobby and them become lame duck artists who essentially... On social media, the perception is that they should be so lit. 
But in reality, the label don't want to spend. So I feel bad for, for um, Roddy Rebel. I would love for him to come up here and talk. Bobby obviously came up here and talked, but even then, Bobby was very choosy with his words. He ain't come up here and just say, fuck all them niggas. He was very choosy with his words. You know why? At the end of the day, he signed to a label. You signed to a label? Hey, I'm not trying to say this is the Negro League, but that motherfucker's on you for, for right now. Okay? So Bobby Schmurter is trying to do enough to get the label to get by behind what he got going on, and so is Rowdy. Okay? Unfortunately, I can tell you for a fact right now, Epic Records, their main priority is not Bobby and Rowdy. And even worse for Bobby because they're looking at him like, we're not going to get you hot for you to walk out the door and go to Rock Nation. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, a um, uh, couple announcements. Uh, as we're going into the uh, Christmas you know, um, holiday period, we will not be taking any days off. We'll be still giving you content Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We'll stick to that schedule as close as we can. We will also be doing a yearly wrap-up, um, trying to do a Christmas episode, also yearly wrap-up and award show. If you have any uh, um, suggestions for that, please let me know. You guys can hit me up via the socials of the show. Um, we're trying to make this exciting because you know what? When you're at um, Christmas dinner with your mom, before you open them presents, which, by the way, I hope some of y'all are old enough that you're not opening presents, just giving. But still, while you're sitting there and you're bored as hell and you got to listen to your mom and your aunt and your grandma go over all that BS about family gossip and you're trying to tune out, I'll have an episode of Off the Record that you guys could listen with your AirPods in and tune out all of the family fuckery because somebody got to do it, okay? Listen, I'll catch you guys on Monday. I love you. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. This has been another episode of Off the Record Podcast. It's your boy Academics. I am out.